Welcome to the Relevant Truth Podcast. My name is Roger Mason. This podcast is dedicated to examining biblical truth. The Bible is overflowing with relevant truth useful in our everyday lives. Thus the title, Relevant Truth. The Bible was relevant to those that first heard it through the apostles and prophets. It is also timeless truth, which means it is relevant for us today in the 21st century. It is my hope that through this podcast, you will be both encouraged and challenged as we look at the Bible together. In Psalm 1, we are presented with a sharp contrast between two ways of living, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Or we could say it this way, the way that leads to blessing and the way that leads to perishing. In today's podcast, let's look a little closer at these two ways of living described in Psalm 1. So let's look at Psalm 1, reading verses 1 to 6 in the ESV. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. As I said earlier, this psalm presents a sharp contrast between two ways of living. The way of blessing is found in verses 1 to 3, and the way of perishing is found in verses 4 to 6. When we talk about the way of blessing or the way of perishing, we are talking about one's way of living, which includes one's direction in life and the consequences of those directions. Throughout the entire psalm, we have a contrast made between two ways of life. The way of the blessed man involves discernment, verse 1, delighting, in verse 2, and dependence, in verse 3. In contrast, the way of the perishing man results in being driven, verse 4, discarded, verse 5, and doomed, in verse 6. Notice also the verbs in verse 1, walk, stand, and sit. These describe a descent into wickedness, which the righteous man is to avoid. The truly blessed man is the one who steers clear of a lifestyle of ungodliness. The psalm seeks to teach us the way of blessedness and to warn us of the destruction that will come with the way of wickedness. The final warning in Psalm 1 is found in verse 6, the last part, the way of the wicked will perish. Two ways of living, the way of life and the way of death, the way of blessing and the way of perishing, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Let's examine these two ways of life found in Psalm 1. 
So let's look at the way of the blessed man found in verses 1 to 3. God enjoys blessing us, but you must be blessable. To be blessable, you must put yourself in a position to be blessed by God. That means using discernment and avoiding sin. We are to stay away from things that make us vulnerable to sin. I'm not talking about locking ourselves in a church building or hiding in a Christian community to avoid the world. The Bible tells us to stay away from things that will draw us into sin. Paul instructs Timothy to run from anything that stimulates youthful lust, following anything that makes you want to do right. Pursue faith and love and peace and enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. That's 2 Timothy 2 verse 22. In 1 Timothy 6 verses 3 to 5, Paul talks to Timothy about false teachers, those who don't teach the truth and are full of greed. Timothy was told by Paul, from such withdraw yourself. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which comes envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. That's 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 to 5. Paul emphasizes in verse 11, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. That's 1 Timothy 6 and verse 11. There are things that the Christian is to stay away from, things that they are to avoid. Verse 1 of this psalm warns us to watch our step. The way of the blessed man involves discernment. Verse 1 talks about this discernment. We are to avoid the steps that lead to sin. These steps are described in verse 1 as walking, standing, and sitting. Considering sin is described here in verse 1 as walking. Walking in the counsel of the wicked. Contributing to or participating in sin is described here as standing in the way of sinners. And being comfortable with sin is described here in verse 1 as sitting, sitting in the seat of the scoffer. What we have here is a descent into sin described in verse 1, starting with a casual influence of the ungodly that ends with a collusion with those who are scoffers against God. So here we have three steps of descent into sin described in verse 1. Each step down exceeds the other in sinfulness. Sin is progressive. One sinful act leads to another. The one who acts on bad counsel will find himself becoming more deeply involved in sin. Without repentance in his life, you will eventually end up in apostasy. When men live in sin, they usually go from bad to worse. 
walking in the counsel of the wicked becomes standing in the way of sinners, which eventually leads to sitting in the seat of the scoffers. Notice at first the foolish person walks in the counsel of the ungodly. The ungodly man is unconcerned about issues of faith. They usually ignore God. They ignore the law of God and rule themselves by their own counsel. The foolish person begins to consider and eventually accept this ungodly counsel. They then progress to standing in the way of sinners. The sinner has practices, habits, and a way of life that is entrenched in sin. To stand in the way of sinners is to adopt these practices and habits of sin. Sin becomes a lifestyle or a way of life. They now are living in such a way that openly violates God's word. They are standing in the way of sinners. They progress even further into sin when they are sitting in the seat of scoffers. To scoff means to mock, to ridicule, to make fun of, laugh at, to poke fun at, to jeer or to sneer. This is an attitude expressed towards God and everything sacred. Notice he sits. To sit is to occupy a place of authority in teaching or instructing others. The New Testament says the scribes and the Pharisees sit at Moses' seat. That's Matthew 23 and verse 2. This means that they are official teachers of the law of Israel. The foolish person has now graduated to the place of teacher who scoffs against God. To summarize this descent into sin, we walk in the counsel of the ungodly. We begin to consider and eventually accept ungodly counsel. We come under the casual influence of the wicked. When we stand in the way of sinners, we now begin to participate in the practices of the sinner, adopting their way of life. We stand with them. When we sit in the seat of scoffers, we join with them, those who openly mock God. We share their attitude and openly instruct others to do the same. Notice that the ungodly or the wicked man has his counsel, a reference to his influence over others. The sinner has his way, a reference to his lifestyle, practices and habits, or his way of life. The scoffer has his seat, a reference to a deep-seated, entrenched, negative attitude towards God. The righteous man is to repudiate the advice, the lifestyle, and the attitude of the wicked. This is the advice given us in verse 1. Oh, the blessedness of the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He instead takes wise counsel and walks in the commands of the Lord. He walks not in the counsel of the wicked. His conduct is not shaped by worldly standards, nor stand in the way of sinners. He does not make his association with evil men, nor sit in the seat of the scoffer. He has no fellowship with those who scoff against God. The wicked has his counsel, the sinner has his way, and the scoffer has his seat. 
Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That's Isaiah 55, verse 7. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. That's Isaiah 55 and verse 8. There is the way of man and the way of God. We are called on to forsake our way and to walk in God's way. We have been talking about in verse 1 how the way of the blessed man involves discernment in avoiding sin. The emphasis in verse 1 so far is primarily negative, avoiding sin. Now in verse 2, the emphasis becomes positive. It talks about the way of the blessed man. The way of the blessed man involves delighting in the law of the Lord. Verse 2 reads this way, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The godly person is influenced not by unrighteous people, but by his meditation in the word of God. He delights in the law of the Lord. Look at his attitude towards the scriptures. What is our attitude towards the scriptures? Is it the same as the man in verse 2 here? One who delights in the law of the Lord. Is it a delight to read and study the Bible? Or has it become for you a sacred duty to fulfill? He is not only delighting in the law of the Lord, but also he meditates on the scriptures day and night. To meditate means to muse, to think about, to ponder, to consider, to mull over, or to reflect on. Meditation is like what a cow does in chewing the cud. They draw the nutrients out of the grass by chewing it a second time. Meditation enables the believer to draw out virtue from the scriptures and plant it deep in their heart and in their life. Meditation is to your inner life what digestion is to your body. With digestion, the food we eat is metabolized into our body. With meditation, God's word is assimilated into the way that we live. A great book on this subject is a book called Hooked on the Word, Changing Your Life Through Bible Meditation by Ron Smith. I think it was Charles Spurgeon who would read a scripture text at least a hundred times before he would preach from it. Of Watchman Nee, it says, after his conversion, he threw himself into a profound study of the Bible. From the age of 18 on, he consistently employed at least 20 different forms of Bible study, from a general study of all the books of the Bible, for an overall view, to an intense study of particular books to probe its depths from doing word studies in the original Greek and Hebrew languages to mining the riches of all the Bible's prophecies, from biographical studies of all the characters of the Bible to a systematic study of all of its doctrines, Watchman Nee became known as a young man consumed by the Word of God. This is from the book Watchman Nee, Sufferer for China.
Many of the great men and women of God in history had a great love of God's Word. They were men of the book. They had an insatiable hunger for the Word of God. As we meditate on the Word of God daily, the Bible becomes our rule of life. The psalmist loved the Bible and meditated on it day and night. The law of the Lord is the daily bread of a true believer. The Bible tells us that men shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3. The blessed man is not only a discerning man, verse 1, and a delighting man, in verse 2, but he is also a dependent man, in verse 3. A dependent man is one whose spiritual roots go deep into the resources of God's grace and who bears fruit because his life is depending on God. Look at the picture portrayed for us in verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Notice he is like a tree planted, not a wild tree growing randomly by accident, but a tree chosen by God, planted and cultivated with intention and purpose. The verb planted, the Hebrew word sheltel, indicates that the godly man did not accidentally, nor under his own initiative, take root, but he was planted by the Lord. Also notice that this tree is planted by streams or rivers of water, so that if one stream failed, there were other streams of water that the tree could draw from. Here we have a reference to the custom of irrigation, where streams or channels from a canal or river are channeled to different parts of the field in need of water. With God there are rivers of pardon, rivers of grace, rivers of promise, a never-failing resource of supply for the godly man. We are like a tree planted by rivers or streams of water. We have been carefully selected and cultivated with all the advantages of good soil and abundance of water. God optimizes all of the conditions necessary for growth and productivity. The reason God plants a man in the fertile soil of his grace is always to produce fruit. The godly man is like a tree that yields its fruit in its season. The tree is expected to grow fruit, and the fruit comes in its season. God expects the fruit of righteousness to come forth in our lives. The healthy tree yields fruit, and the leaves do not wither. D.L. Moody said, All the Lord's trees are evergreens. Notice that the leaves of this tree do not wither. The spiritual life of the Christian is not subject to decay, but it is characterized by continuous inner renewal of the Spirit. In all that he does, he prospers, the Bible says in verse 3. This is a statement about the godly man. He is assured ultimate success because he puts his trust firmly in the Lord. His dependence is on the Lord. 
The Bible says that the godly man, in whatever he does, he prospers. The reason, of course, is that he is living in fellowship with the Lord, and his life is therefore guided by the Holy Spirit. The only way to be effective and successful in the Christian life is to be led by the Spirit of the Lord. A self-directed life is an enormous waste of time and effort. In verses 1 to 3 of Psalm 1, we have learned that the godly man is blessed because of three positive characteristics. He is discerning, able to avoid sin. He is delighting in the law of the Lord, and he is dependent on God. So let's move on to the second part of the psalm, verses 4 to 6, the way of the perishing man. How tragic that any man should perish when Jesus offers every man abundant life. John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Nobody has to perish if only we would accept God's gracious offer of salvation. In verses 1 to 3, we learned about the way of the blessed man. Now we want to examine the way of the perishing man. In verses 4 to 6, we have a contrast. In verse 3, the blessed man is compared to a tree planted by streams of water. In verse 4, the perishing man is compared to chaff that the wind drives away. This psalm quickly dismisses the common belief that the sinful life is a good life. Daily, we are brainwashed into thinking that true and lasting satisfaction is found in doing what pleases us. The internet, television, radio, movies, and magazines all suggest that permissiveness is the road to fulfillment. The life of purity is dismissed as puritanical or outdated. But Psalm 1 sets the record straight. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. That's verse 4 in Psalm 1. In contrast to the blessed man, the wicked are not so. The wicked or ungodly are not well planted, fruitful, enduring, or prosperous. This psalm makes it clear that whatever is said of the righteous man, it's not true of the ungodly man. Unlike the prosperous established tree in verse 3, the ungodly are swept away like chaff by the wind. The picture given here is that of the threshing floor on a hilltop, where the wind clears away the chaff from the wheat. The wheat is thrown up by a large wooden shovel into the wind. The grain, because it is heavier, it falls back into the shovel. But the chaff, because it is lighter, it is blown away, being separated from the grain. In the winnowing process, the chaff is scattered by the wind. Notice that the ungodly are promised no place with the righteous. God regards or concerns himself with the righteous, but the wicked drift off to ultimate destruction. 
This is their choice. The character of the ungodly is like the chaff, worthless, dead, and without substance, and easily carried away. There is nothing solid in the ungodly man. There is nothing good in his way. They are not planted by the Lord. They are not good grain. They are only chaff, chaff that is separated from the good grain. The way of the perishing man involves being driven away like chaff from the grain. Verse 4. The way of the perishing man involves being discarded. Verse 5. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The wicked will not stand in judgment. This probably refers back to the winnowing process mentioned in verse 4. The chaff is driven away by the wind, being separated from the grain. Only the grain is precious to the farmer. The chaff is useless and discarded. The winnowing process clearly illustrates God's separation of the righteous from the wicked in judgment. God will separate the righteous from the wicked as the farmer separates the grain from the chaff. Jesus talks about this. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barns. That's Matthew 13, verse 30. Again, the psalmist brings out this contrast between the ungodly and the wicked. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Verse 5. All congregations are mixed. Even one out of the twelve disciples of Jesus had a betrayer. In the parable Jesus told in Matthew 13, the tares grew in the same field as the wheat. The unrighteous are mixed in with the righteous. Sinners mixed in with saints. Dross mingled with gold. And God's precious diamonds still lie in the same mind with rocks. When God's judgment comes, the wicked or the sinner will not stand in the judgment. They will not stand up to the scrutiny of God's judgment. They will be exposed as unrighteous, even though they appear to be the genuine thing. In verse 5, it is clear that the wicked man will be discarded from the congregation of the righteous, the way of the perishing man. He is driven away like chaff from the grain. He is discarded from the congregation of the righteous. And verse 6 tells us that the way of the perishing man is doomed. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. He is aware and constantly looking at the way that we go. He is not only aware of our way, but he also approves of the way that we go. Yes, the way of the righteous may be filled with affliction, temptation, trials, and difficulties, yet the Lord is nonetheless aware of us. But he knows the way that we take, and when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. That's Job 23 and verse 10. The Lord watches over those 
who live godly lives before him. But the way of the wicked will perish. Verse 6. In contrast to the righteous, all the plans and hopes of the ungodly will end in disappointment and ruin. Not only will the wicked perish, but their way will perish as well. The way of pleasure, the way of self-interest, the way of unbelief, the way of deception, the way of pride, they will all come to an end. This way of living will cease to exist. The way of the ungodly shall perish. Their projects, their designs, their operations shall all perish. We have been talking about the way of the perishing man. In verse 4 we learned that he is driven away like the chaff from the grain. In verse 5 we learned that he is discarded from the congregation of the righteous. And in verse 6 we learned that he is doomed to perish. Two men, two ways, two destinies. One leads to life and blessedness. The other without God and his word is a dead-end street leading to death. Please don't misunderstand me here. I am not saying a person's destiny is determined by the way he lives. Our good living alone does not gain us God's approval or acceptance. Just in case you think I've been saying this, or this psalm has been saying this. The determining factor of one's salvation is whether he has been born again by faith in Jesus Christ. The righteous person is the one who has confessed his sins and received the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. His righteous life is the result of his new life in Christ. The ungodly person is the one who refuses to acknowledge his need and to bow his knee to the Lord Jesus. He would rather live in sin than have a Savior, and the end result is that he will perish. The last seven words of Psalm 1 summarizes the sad result of this way of living. The way of the ungodly shall perish. The psalm starts with the word blessed and ends with the word perish. This pretty well sums up the content of Psalm 1. The choice is yours. The way of blessing or the way of perishing. Join us in two weeks for our next episode of Relevant Truth. Never miss an episode of the podcast by subscribing on iTunes. If you like this podcast, why not rate and review the podcast on iTunes? You can also visit my website, relevanttruthpodcast.com, where you will find an archive of all of my messages and book recommendations. You can also contact me at rockrevmason79 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.